Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for eyes society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today on Dan's podcast is Jill Rappaport, who has had a remarkable career in the media and is an author and more recently involving animals uh, and pets. So I would like to ask you first, uh, where are you from? Where were you raised? And uh, tell me a little about yourself and um, talk a little bit about NBC and what, what was going on there. First of all, Dan, thank you so much for having me on your wonderful podcast. The last time I saw you, Dan, was a few decades ago when you were sitting in my log cabin in my living room. I don't know if you remember. It was in the 90s, and we literally were doing an interview about my log cabin and living in the Wild West. And you came (laughs) here to my house and interviewed me, and we had such a great time. And you were kind of fascinated by the fact that I was, you know, this living in New York, but really fantasizing about being a cowgirl and created the Western Cowgirl Museum that I live in today. Well, I remember it very well. It was hard. It's hard, impossible to forget that house. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny you bring up my background because I grew up in Michigan, but as a child, my parents, we all, my whole family, like we're all frustrated cowgirls and cowboys. And as a child, my parents would take us out to Tucson, Arizona, ever since I could remember. In fact, my sister still has a home there. And I became obsessed with the West as soon as I could walk and talk and literally grew up on horses and cowboy hats and the whole image, you know, just (laughs) fantasized about having it in my own backyard one day. And then 1996, I created my own Western Wonderland in Watermill uh, and really have my dream right in my backyard now from since I was a child. I have to say, I have a vivid memory of that house. I don't recall too much about it, exactly what the, uh, what the interior was, but were there things on the mantle, you know, that would Yes, yes. You were, you were making fun of me. I had all my, you know, well, first of all, I collect Navajo jewelry and Western art, and I have like a whole series of cowboy boots and cowboy hats. I mean, it really is like a Western museum. And uh, you were commenting on all of the cool stuff, which I've been collecting literally as a child. And now, you know, some of the things are quite unusual. There was this furniture line that they used to make for Corvettes. I don't remember if you you remember that years ago, it was uh, kind of like a Kmart, you know, in the Midwest, and it was vinyl Naugahyde furniture. Well, this is stuff that from the 50s and the 60s, where they have like emblems of horses and mountain scenes and, you know, cowboys, and it's all hand-stitched in this Naugahyde, and I've been collecting that furniture for years, and I remember as a kid growing up, people would leave it like on their front stoop to take away, like to throw away. And now it's vintage memorabilia. 
So my both of um, my homes here, you know, we have a, the, a bigger house and the guest house and the barns and the horses. It really is an homage to the Old West, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Ralph Lauren, Pendleton. It kind of combines everything, the best of the West. And um, to have this on the East Coast with my horses right outside my door, my rescue dogs, it's just a dream come true. It's just an amazing property. And literally, my whole life has been about saving animals. And I switched my career. As you know, Dan, I was the entertainment reporter for so many decades on every red carpet in the world. And I went from the red carpet to the wee-wee pad uh, <laughs> many, many years ago due to one of my dogs getting very sick, sadly. And we chronicled his story on the Today Show. It was Jack, who I wrote a book about, Jack and Jill. Uh, he ended up getting bone cancer, and we had to amputate his leg. And it, he, I thought it was the most tragic thing in the world. He's a German shepherd. He was 11 and a half at the time. But what turned out to be a tragedy turned out literally opened the door for me being able to save thousands of lives because I changed my whole career due to Jack and made it my mission to help animals in need. Matt, tell me how you got involved in the media in the first place. Oh, well, it's funny. You should say that. I right out of college, I went to Boston University and uh, graduated from BU School of Communications. And right out of college, I became a movie publicist for United Artists. And I was based in San Francisco and I got to work with Francis Ford Coppola, Woody Allen. I mean, really, I had the movie Manhattan. I had Apocalypse Now. I did Michael Douglas, one of his very first films, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I was with all these incredible celebrities as their publicist. You know, they would, the movie would open, we would have the premiere in San Francisco, and I was responsible for getting them from various TV stations and booking interviews for them to do. And what happened was, in the limo, while I was sitting with these celebrities, I found that I was doing really fun, unique interviews, just sitting with them in the car. And I thought, you know what? This is what I want to do. I'm very at ease with these celebrities. They felt pretty comfortable with me. And after some of their interviews, they said, we wish you would have done it. And the light bulb went off. And I ended up, in those days, you didn't have cable opportunities and You know, now anyone can be on TV. You know, you can find an outlet and make a video and there you are. But when I started out, you know, there wasn't even CNN. There were three networks and three stations in San Francisco. And to get on was literally like bringing the broom, you know, to the Wizard of Oz. It was impossible. So I hired a crew and I made a video just saying, here's who I am, you know, and this is why you should hire me. And it was the craziest thing, Dan, because I cold called the general manager of KRON, which was the San Francisco NBC affiliate, and he took the call because he couldn't believe, quite honestly, how aggressive I was. I'd use another word, but not on your podcast. But he said, wow, you really are aggressive, and I like that in a reporter. And I said, well, I'm not a reporter yet, but I promise you, if you meet with me, you will be making the discovery of your career. (laughs) And I think he was so blown away by my chutzpah as they say, he took the meeting and I showed him this really ridiculous video that I had to pay, you know, hire the crew. My dad paid for it. I had no money back then. And uh, he said, you know what? I see something. I do see something. He said, I'm going to start you out for $133 a week. That was after scale. And we have an entertainment reporter, but how about being 
lifestyle. And I said, well, how about fashion? I know about fashion. So my first story was Lomans. They were opening up Lomans. And if you know about Lomans, it was like the, the discount amazing. Before the TJ Maxx's, there was Lomans. Yes. And it was in Daly City, San Francisco, in California. And I, that was my very first story. And then, you know what they say, Dan, never get sick. The entertainment reporter was under the weather and they asked me to fill in for him on a junket. And a junket is when you go to uh, like L.A. or a major city and you interview, you do a roster of interviews with stars from a particular movie. So you could do eight interviews in one day. And so I did the junket and the head of NBC said, we want her from now on. And, you know, part of me, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like 21 years old. But this other part, I thought I felt really bad because I was filling in for the guy who was sick. And it was, you know, one of those things where I felt bad. But, hey, I'm glad it happened to me. So uh, I got ended up getting all of these incredible opportunities and ended up becoming the entertainment reporter in San Francisco, co-hosting a show in the afternoon. And then I get a call that they were looking for a co-host for PM Magazine in New York, and I was going to be matched up, if it worked, with Matt Lauer. And I remember sending a tape. You know, I was not your polished person. I wasn't like, you know, they wanted me to be like Mary Hart, you know, and I wasn't. They asked me to change my name. They said, Rappaport, uh uh-uh, can you be Joe Richards? And I said, no, I'm going to stay true to my roots. I, I had my name and always kept my name back in a time where everybody changed their name. And I refused to do that. Of course, my father wouldn't have let me either. So I remember when I was on the air, they would introduce me as Gilles Rappaport, like I'm French, and they would drop the T. And I thought, this is really kind of crazy. In fact, Paul McCartney was one of the interviews I did, and he had seen the lead-in on the show when he was in San Francisco. So he's even impersonating it, going Gilles Rappaport, and we were laughing about it. So in New York... Thank goodness that boss, Steve Schwartz, who was at it's Channel 5 in New York, he loved the, my name. He loved the fact that I wasn't exactly polished. I was had long hair. I just kind of did my thing. I wasn't, you know, perfect by any means. And back then, TV was very different. You know, showing personality was very daring. And I got the job with Matt Lauer. And uh, we had a really successful show, primetime every night in New York. And then we ended up with a morning talk show, which was canceled. And then from there, I ended up at Channel 2 and then at the Today Show. So it was like a lot of different moving parts, but I was always employed, which is the most important thing. So you moved to New York. And then how soon after you moved to New York did you build uh, the Western Ranch? (laughs) Well, you know, I was on the Today Show. I started... I think it was 1991. I was on the Today Show almost 24 years. And in 1996, five years later, I got a call from a realtor out here named Linda Ireland. She's fabulous. And she said, I have got a place that just came on the market. It's a bank foreclosure. It's on six acres. It's in Watermill on a great street, completely private. Only you would love this. And it's a log cabin. It looks like big tree timbers in the living room. I said, oh. And she said, the only problem is we've got the snowstorm coming in. And it's going to be bad for about a week. I said, let's go. I don't care. We went in the middle of a snowstorm and I grabbed Christy Brinkley with me because uh, she loves the West, too. We, we share that. We're not only like sisters, but we share our love of the West. And, you know, she lived in Telluride and she has, you know, rode the horses. We have all that in common. 
So she walked in with me and she said, oh, this is fabulous. If you don't buy it, I will. And it was 349000 It was something crazy, Dan, back in the day. Uh, you know, and we're talking, you know, almost 30 years ago. But can you imagine? It was a bank foreclosure and there was nothing around it. It sat on almost six acres, but I couldn't see anything for miles. And I thought this is the greatest thing in the world. So I slowly started building up this Western Wonderland. I bought that property. Then both lots on both sides of me became available again at ridiculous prices that I mean, you don't even get rentals for that. You know what I'm saying? It's yes. like, it, it was so weird and crazy how it all came together. And by doing, you know, combining these three lots, and then it was surrounded by 40 acres of untouched, could not be touched land owned by the county with a pond. And I thought, this, there's no property like this. That was really how I was able to not only have my dream life, but to start my mission of helping animals in need. You know, I changed my whole career and made it all about rescue. I started the rescue movement on the Today Show. I was the first one to do it with my segment, Bow to Wow, which had a 100% adoption record in almost eight years. And I have turned this into a whole life for me. It was always the thing I cared about most. But now I've made it my career, which is, you know, the old saying, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. So it's not work for me. It's true love. Yes, I know. I know that feeling. And Do you spend all of your time out here or part of it? And if so, about what you're in, do you still have a place in New York? Yes, I keep a place in New York because I still do things there. And I'm, I just started a whole business, um, a whole e-commerce business that's about to launch. It's very exciting. It's called Jill Rappaport's PPP. Pet products with a purpose. And their products I've created were going to really become quite uh, an amazing uh, situation because nobody's doing this. And my animals, you know, will be getting homes. I have amazing, never before seen products at great prices. And the reward is the pets will get what they deserve, which is a loving forever home. So I'm working on that and I go back and forth and have my podcast, Rappaport to the Rescue. And uh, I created Dog Bowl for uh, Animal Planet, which ran for three years. I created it because I was on Puppy Bowl doing the backstory of the rescues. And I said, why aren't we helping the seniors? So it was Puppy Bowl for seniors. And I'm hoping to do a new version of that uh, yet to be announced. So I, because I really am all about, Dan, the underdogs. I love puppies. Who doesn't? But they're not the ones that are in dire need of a home, and they're not the ones that are suffering right now because everybody wants a puppy first. And I try to help what I call the underdogs, the seniors, the special needs, the pit bulls. You know, those are the groups that are left languishing in shelters across the country and often never make it out. So my whole mission is to shine a light on them, and that's what I'm doing with my whole line. Where are the dogs housed? Oh, well, they're all with me. Housed? They're my children. They're in my bed. Are you kidding? I had six. And then when COVID started, I sadly lost three in the last year and a half. But I have to remind your listeners that um, they have a really good life. The one we just lost a year ago, CJ, was 20 years old and never was sick a day in her life. My American bulldog that I got and um, was left tied to a tree in Harlem 
their life expectancy is 12. He lived to almost 17. He died a year ago. And my Ruby, who I called her my sugar doggy because she did all my selling on QVC. She was my number one salesperson for my dog toy, Shelter Shake. She got sick right in the beginning of COVID. And actually, one of the vets thought she had COVID because she had to be put on oxygen and she was sick out of nowhere. And that was a, all of them are such a loss. And anyone listening who has a pet, when you lose one of them, a piece of your heart goes with them, and it never comes back. It really doesn't. Do you have pets, Dan? I sure do. I, until quite recently, uh, we, I've had a dog with me practically my, my whole life when I was little. Oh, see, uh, they're, your guard, they're your guardian yeah, angel, right? But, yeah, but the last two that we had, um, one of them was I inherited, for some reason, a poodle. And uh, a little. Oh, I have one too. I have a standard poodle. And this is a little, a little bigger than a toy. And uh, and then he, when he passed away, we got a, a, a you know, a Heinz fifty-seven dog with giant ears and a. Yes, a, yes. A full tail and and uh, and just they're all so great. But I haven't had it. And he passed away about a year and a half ago. And we have not replaced them. We're still in mourning. Yeah, it's really hard. I used to, whenever I lost one, I would immediately go out and rescue another one. And, you know, I've had so many that I've lost over the years, but they've lived incredibly long, beautiful lives. I'm so blessed, you know, because of, hey, like CJ, if I could get them to 20 without ever being sick and they, they, you know, she had a heart condition, but she went up the stairs and just passed, but no suffering. Um, That's all you can ask for because you never want them to suffer. But I know how you feel like I would always immediately rescue another one. But I lost three in a year and a half, and it's been so overwhelming. I still look on PetFinder because the Bulldogs, the American Bulldogs, are very hard adoptions, and I want an older one. Nobody wants them. So I have to also make sure that they get along with other dogs because, you know, God forbid, you know, you have an issue. But I'm looking for another senior American Bulldog, always older, you know, four and up at least. Um, And my Dachshund, my last rescue from Southampton Animal Shelter, which I was on the board, uh, I rescued him at seven years old. And he, I'm looking at him now, he's going on 14 and I can't keep up with him. So, and that was a dog that never, I mean, thank goodness they wouldn't have done anything to him there because he was healthy and he was, you know, he's a little quirky, but the truth is he'd probably still be a lifer and sitting in that shelter because no one's taken him at seven, eight years old. He was given up three times. It's so pathetic and took me six hours, Dan. I went to the shelter. I had to sit there for six hours to get him to warm up to me to even get him in the car. And to this day, I can't get him back in the car. The vet has to come to the house. The one time I tried, he jumped on the gas pedal. I almost went through my house. Can you imagine? I mean, he is so afraid that he's going to be given up that I can't get him in the car. But see, that's the thing. And I always tell him, you don't have to worry. The vet comes to the house. You know, he he never has to leave the property again. And, you know, when they've had a traumatized beginning, you know, you really have to reassure them that they're not going to ever go through that again. What other animals are on your property now? Well, my, my three rescues, and I have uh, right now five horses. One is a, uh, a boarder right now, a uh, wonderful horse. And then I've got, you know, mostly three, se- well, two senior retired, and then my girl. I got her at five years old, and she's going on 23. I can still ride her. She's my soulmate, Madison. I think you saw her when you were here. And... Um, 
We have beautiful bling. And again, you know, I just, if they can get a year or two off at a time. It doesn't matter to me. I just go out and I play with them. They have a great life. My two retired horses, Ranger and Bella, they are so funny, Dan. They are on the barn on the hill and we will go outside and they, they're laying down, sleeping in the sun, head to head. And when I first saw them do that, I, oh my God, what happened to them? But they are so relaxed that they sleep together outside. They, it's so funny. I'll see Bella. We leave the stall door open so they go in and out and Bella will be in there drinking water and, and Ranger's right behind her trying to get in her stall. They're so attached to each other. But it makes me so happy because, you know, they're in their 20s. I think Ranger's 26 years old. And you just feel so good knowing they're so at peace and happy. And, you know, it just gives me so much joy to watch that. Yeah, we have a situation at our house where we, my, my, my wife uh, grew up in the Midwest. And we have, we have a collection that comes to our deck for, uh, we have a heated um, bird bath and we have uh, three or four uh, bird feeders that we have a, this morning we had three squirrels out there. Oh my goodness. 15 different birds. It was, it's like a menagerie. I told her, she's used like a farmer. She has to refill this thing about every other day. The squirrels try and get into the bird feeder, but they can't figure it out. Oh, I think that's so funny. Isn't that great? And don't you love seeing it? Yeah, I do. And it's wonderful to be, to just be around animals. And I, I share that with you with that. And, um, it, I think I, I think there's a lot to be said uh, for the animals on the earth, um, and we're one of them. But we don't seem to think of that think of it that way for some reason or another. But I, no, and you know you have to be so mindful. You know I've been a vegetarian for a long time. I even have trouble. You know I have to figure out what better ways of getting protein. But I feel guilty when I even eat salmon. But you know I have wild turkeys on my property. Uh, Christy Brinkley has all these beautiful chickens. She gets fresh eggs. You know, I would, oh my goodness, when I think about the wonderful cows and pigs and lambs, and I, I just love everything. The other day, Dan, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. I walk and, you know, hike like three, four miles a day, and I'm going down the street, and I see one of those huge turtles. You know, they're very rare now with the gold and brown, incredible markings, and he's like in halfway in the street. Now, you know, a turtle, it's not moving so fast to get out, and I took a stick because, you know, to pick him up would be traumatizing for him, so I took a stick and gently just nudged him, nudged him. It took me like 11 minutes to get him into the grass again because he would have been run over. But I swear, if I see any animal alongside the road, or it just, I, I'm heartsick. I just, I don't know. I was born with this empathy and love for animals. And when people are like you and I, it's just with us for the rest of our lives. And I will tell you, you know, I, I've been through a few fiancés and husbands, and trust me, I don't miss any of them. But don't, <laughs> don't, don't ever take away my animals because you're never alone when you have an animal. Don't you feel that way? The best Absolutely. company in the world. Absolutely. I, I, amazing. I, when I got the, that poodle and it was uh, a woman who was desperate to get rid of him, and he came to my, he came to my house and I got in bed that night and the poodle crawled up onto the bed and wrapped himself around my head. Oh my God. Isn't that the sweetest thing? I said, I guess she's staying. (laughs) I love that so much. And you know that what I want to really educate, you know, your listeners to is that 
people need to understand, and I know people have preferences in terms of breeds and size, and I get that. You know, look, every dog I have, then, of course, that's the breed of the type I always want and have to have again, but I've had every imaginable breed there is. Right now I have a coonhound, a dachshund, and a poodle, but I had a pit bull and another dachshund and a German shepherd, and, I mean, I've had everything. But I try to tell people, and what I, my message today is please be open to your opening your hearts and homes to rescue because I promise you, if you're looking for a yellow lab, guess what? There's Labrador Rescue. There's Havanese Rescue. There's Westie Rescue. Anything you're looking for, I promise you, you can find. And I just want people to understand that. It shouldn't prohibit them from rescuing. And I also encourage people, we have such wonderful organizations in our area. As you know, ARF, Animal Rescue Fund of the Hamptons, oh, uh, unbelievable. I did an incredible initiative with them this year. While everybody was doing the Betty White Challenge, I came up with an honor of Betty White. Let's do a situation where we waive all donations for 100 days in honor of her 100th birthday for all seniors. And Scott Howe, as you know, who runs that place, he said, oh, I love it. And so he went along with it. And, you know, anything to shine a light on the seniors. We also have Southampton Animal Shelter. We have Long Island Bulldog Rescue, where she helped me get my PD. Uh, Little Shelter in Huntington, Long Island. Unbelievable. I work with David Seeley all the time. There's so many rescue groups and people you don't, if you're looking for a pet, cat, dog, whatever you want, you can find it in a rescue. So please consider that first, you know, before you shop for one. Well, I'm I'm talking to Jill Rappaport, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. I will uh, hope to see you soon and uh, uh, stop by. We'll get together sometime soon. Yes, Dan, come back to my log cabin with your cowboy boots, your cowboy hat, and we'll we'll have a boot scooting boogie time. (laughs) Thanks for coming. Okay, Dan, thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.